for the reading of the Word of God, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. We'd like to read the first 18 verses responsibly this morning. And let me just interject here something. Uh, I play what's called, I call it high church. This is a high church uh, activity where we stand for the reading of the Word of God. Now, we do that because of Nehemiah chapter 8. If you read the first verses of Nehemiah chapter 8, they stood for the Word of God. And they stood all morning long. We don't stand all morning, but we stand for a few minutes. This is a long passage of Scripture. We do it out of respect. We do it out of reverence. And I know we can get away from that. You're allowed to read your, bed, your Bible in your bed laying down. That's a fine thing to do. You can read it on your, while you're on your knees or sitting down or in your car, wherever, wherever you have. But when we come to church, these Sunday mornings, we like to read from the same Word of God, of course, King James Bible. We like to read responsibly together and hear what God's word says together as a, an assembly together. And so with that said, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 1. Now we'll read the succeeding odd-numbered verses through verse number 17. Would you please read with me, please, beginning in verse number 2, along with the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse 18. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 18 and reading responsively. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you take this story that many Christians have heard literally this account hundreds of times. Some have committed it to memory. But Lord, as we ponder thy word, Lord, speak to our hearts afresh and anew, Spirit of God. 
do a work of grace in our hearts for those that have heard this passage hundreds of times and those for the first time. We'll be sure to give you praise and glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. And I'm glad you're here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to maybe the most famous passage of Scripture in regards to what we sometimes call the Christmas story that there is, Luke chapter 2. I'm sure many of you have committed this to memory, especially when you were kids. And, and we looked at, uh, on purpose, last two Sundays, we've looked at two other chapters that are very famous in the Christmas story. The four chapters that are the most famous would be in the New Testament would be Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Luke 1, and Luke 2. And we looked at Matthew chapter 1, of course, two weeks ago. And we talked about the prophecies concerning his first and second coming. And we looked at the angel Gabriel coming to Joseph, of course, and announcing the birth of the Christ child and through the Virgin Mary, of course. We saw the prophecies related to that. And not only his first coming, but his second advent. And then we saw last week, of course, the anticipation of his coming from the second half of Luke chapter 2 and the first parts of John, or Luke chapter 1. We looked at the anticipators. We talked about Zacharias and Mary, young Mary, of course, and elderly, grandmotherly Anna, of course. And then, of course, we spent our, most of our time talking about Simeon. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll look at Matthew chapter 2, and we'll look at the gift of the Magi, the presentations of his first and second coming. But this morning, I want to take this very familiar story. There's two messages that are, on my mind, the hardest to preach for pastors. And it's not because usually the crowds are the largest. On the contrary, the larger the crowd, the easier it is to preach normally. But the, the two hardest passages of Scripture are the hardest subjects to talk about. First one is, of course, the resurrection of Christ, because everybody knows the punchline on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. The second one is talking about the birth of our Savior, because it's become so familiar to us. And it's like, I can't tell you anything that I, you don't already know. Well, on the contrary, hopefully we'll learn some things from a story we've heard hundreds of times. And if we'll ponder the Word of God, and that's what I want to do this morning. I don't have on purpose. I wasn't lazy. I just didn't, on purpose, I didn't develop a serious outline to put on the back of the bulletin. Some of you get lost in that, and, and uh, you, you don't like to be in school again. I want you to just listen and hear And it's just several major points of pondering this morning here. And so I want you to notice as we begin this story this morning, I love how the Word of God starts off in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1, and it came to pass. The Bible says, and it came to pass. Now, thank you. I I have in my office, I just saw it the other day. I haven't used it in probably 20 years, but I have a book. It's this thick. I'm not joking. It's this big. And I'm referring to, and it's my, my, my... my book is a green cover, and I'm referring to a Strong's Concordance. And some of you know what I'm talking about, but it used to be that for preachers, you used to have your Bible and the Strong's Concordance. That's what you, the two tools that you had. Now I have something called Online Bible or Sword Search. I just hit a button, and I typed in these words, and it came to pass, and it came up 446 times in the Word of God. The first time you find the word it came to pass is in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 3. We call this the law first mentioned, the first time it's mentioned. The Bible says in Genesis 4, 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought forth from the fruit of the ground. But here it says, and it came to pass. I want you to know this morning that that phrase reminds me of this truth and the veracity of this truth, that what God declares happens. 
What God declares happens. And I want you to look this morning at a, a pre- precise, prepared period of time. A period of time. And I want to see the slide here. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't do the backdrop. I just want to see what he had for a backdrop here. So a prepared period of time. We looked two Sundays to go, and we won't spend long time in review, but we talked about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, not born of a woman, made of a woman, made under the law. I want you to know it came to pass that one day God sent his son made of a woman, made of the law, the, one, the son that made the woman and made the law. He was made of a woman and made of the, made of the law. Or he was made under the law, rather. I want you to know that this time, this period of time, was a prepared time. God always, and here we see it in our text, I want you to think about this, God always comes on time. Not your time, not my time, his time. Not he doesn't come early. Sometimes he says to us, wait. He doesn't come late. He always comes right at the exact moment of time that God decreed before the foundation of the world, before God comes exactly in the fullness of time, in the peace of Rome, he came. And he came in the time, Luke 21, 24 says, he came in the time of the Gentiles. Now notice as we dissect the passage here, verse number one is we peruse verse one for a moment. And it came to pass in those days that there went on a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be what? Help me out. Don't we love that word tax? You know, two things are for sure, tax, death and taxes in life, right? We thought it, taxes started with the U.S. government, but taxes were around a long time before the U.S. government. And Caesar Augustus, the second Caesar, Caesar's a title like president or Pharaoh's a title. And Caesar Augustus, he was the second of the, the kings or the presidents or the pharaohs, call it what you want, of, of modern day, uh, the new Roman Empire, of course, and it's interesting, as you study this passage of Scripture, it came to pass, Bible scholars believe, I didn't know this until I was studying this message in more detail than ever before, probably. Bible scholars believe in chapter 1, of course, we have the long exhortation, 80 verses, most of it's about Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, of course, he's a six-month-old cousin of the Lord Jesus the presentation would be on the eighth day where he was circumcised, of course, he was dedicated to the temple. Scholars believe, I don't know if it's true, but scholars maintain uh, that, that the day, the very day that John the Baptist was, was uh, dedicated at the temple, that Caesar Augustus, a thousand plus miles away in Rome, made this decree. Now he made this decree, I got to studying this, and you can, you can Google this for yourself and see all this stuff if you want to. This was 27 years in the making. You see, the Roman Senate 27 years earlier said, hey, we not only got to tax the people, but in order to tax them, we got to know where they all live at. And so this taxing was also a census. This taxing was a registry, was an enrollment. It was accounted for. Everybody needed to be accounted for so that we could get the money out of them. It reminds me of another accounting that's going to take place. The Bible says, one day that every one of us will give account of himself to God. It is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's accounting. There's the registry. He knows every, every person that's in this room. He knows your heart. He knows, he knows your life. He knows where you live. He knows the day you were born before you were born. He knows the day of your death or the day of his coming to, to take his children home and those that will be left behind. 
But there's accounting. Here's a prepared period of time, and it came to pass. God, in his exact time, started the process some 27 years before that, and long before that, he started it. The, we went back, and we could talk about, uh, as we did a couple of weeks ago, all the way back to Alexander the Great, and even before that, how God orchestrated a common language and a time of peace and the fullness of the Gentiles to come. At this exact time, when the, the birth of the fourth forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist came. At this time, Caesar Augustus, just inadvertently, just coincidentally, made a, made a decree that all the world should be taxed. Well, I don't believe so. I think there was, a, there was a divine plan. And one day I want you to know that everyone that's in the grave shall hear his voice. There's going to come an appointed day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he calls home everyone. Look what it says in verse number 2. And this taxing was made first, or first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And notice verse 3, and all, I circled all in my Bible, all went to be taxed. There's coming a counting day for all of us. Everyone into his own city. And so I ponder, I peruse for just a moment that first phrase, and it came to pass. I think of a prepared period of time where God came right on time at the exact moment. I say again that he will not hit tarry. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 says, but he will come at the appointed time, at the exact time. And Jesus, by the way, knows exactly when he's coming again. He's God after all. And he's going to come the second time in the second advent on the exact prepared time, not on your calendar, not on my calendar, but on his calendar, on his, that very second he's going to come. But then I want you to notice verse 4. It says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David. The Bible says, because he, or unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now Joseph went up out of Galilee, out of the city of David. He went from the north of Israel down south. We would say he went down, but everything in Jerusalem, or rather in Israel, is up to Jerusalem. So he went to Jerusalem, and five miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. And he went to Bethlehem. He thinks he's going there. Maybe he doesn't know the scriptures like he should, young Joseph. He thinks he's going because Caesar Augustus made a decree that everybody go back to their place of their lineage. But he's going back by divine decree to this little town of Bethlehem. Now I want you to notice, secondly, the Bible says to a city called Bethlehem. Consider with me this morning a prepared place. A prepared place. A prepared place. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to see this slide. I never turn around and see what's going on behind me. So I, I see these slides for the first time myself here. A prepared place. Uh, and I, I purposely want to look back. This is the first time I've seen this. Very good, Justin, or, or rather Dustin. You did a great job. I like that valley picture there. I like the little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie. I've been to Bethlehem. I mentioned it last week. I mentioned it again this week here. Uh, Karen and Bonnie just got back from Bethlehem. It's an occupied Jewish territory. It's, in, uh, it's, in, it's, it's uh, run by the Arabs. The population is about 25,000. Um, it's about as far away, in fact, it's closer from Torrington to Winstead than it is from Jerusalem to or pardon me, it's closer to Jerusalem to Bethlehem than it is about six miles away than Torrington is from Winstead. It's just, the town is larger than Winstead, smaller than Torrington. We don't know how big it was in Jesus' day. 
But the Bible says, 500 years earlier, the prophecy was given in Micah 5 and verse 2, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Israel, out of the thousands of Judah, we sing this little song, of course, O little town of Bethlehem. I want you to consider this morning as we ponder that little phrase, the city called Bethlehem, a prepared place. Consider the little places for a moment. God often comes to little people in little places. I go back in my mind's eye. It's been over 20 years since I've been inside New Line Baptist Church building in New Lime, Ohio. You've all been there, right? <laughs> None of you have been there except for Sonny that I know of. Uh, did, right, no, I haven't told you. I don't, you didn't mean to get there. Got close. New Lyme, Ohio, population about 200, maybe. I might be exaggerating. New Lyme Baptist Church, named after Old Lyme, Connecticut. The church building is about 200 years old. And some 40, almost 50 years ago now, yes, it's been almost 50 years ago, almost a half century ago, 49 years ago, I think it was. Back in the day when there wasn't nothing to do, there were three, three TV shows on television, there were three channels if you were lucky, and they were black and white, and the rabbit ears worked right. We went to, we went to church at New Line Baptist Church. Uh, they, we didn't have our cell phones. We didn't even have bathrooms back in those days. We had his and her outhouses outside the church building, no joke. And I went to that little church building, and I heard the gospel preached. I had no idea what I was going to experience, what I was going to listen to. That preacher preached just this message about hell. I sat right in the second row. I always like to, I see it in my mind's eye. I had a center row. I was over here in the second row where Justin is for, for, on the end row. I had my Cleveland Indians chief Wahoo baseball cap on. Now this year, next year, Cleveland will no longer have chief Wahoo. It's not politically correct any longer. But we weren't politically correct in those days, so I had an Indian on my cap. And an invitation was given, and that preacher, I think just as I am, was given as a song, and the preacher preached on hell, and I went forward, and I went to the back a little 10 by 10 little office, I still can see it in my mind's eye, I've been there 500 times probably as a kid, the first time though, well, that was the first time into the pastor's office, the brown paneling, the preacher explained to me the gospel of Christ, little 11 year old boy, I was the only one that got saved that night at that revival meeting, in that little place called New Lyme, Ohio, God oftentimes comes to little places to little people, to manifest himself. It's astounding uh, that, that he does that. Not only was it a little place, but I believe it was a quiet place. Now there's some conjecture here, but I think maybe in the middle of the night, maybe at two o'clock in the morning when all of the town slept, Mary was there in the stable. She gave birth. The whole world was sleeping, proverbially speaking. The whole world was sleeping as the king, think about it, the king of the universe was born. The armies of heaven all stood at attention. The angelic host bowed in adoration while the residents of Bethlehem slept obliviously to the anointed one and the, the, the appointed one as he came to be the Messiah. They came and they, they, they did not know. The world was not worthy of what was taking place. A prepared place, that little town of Bethlehem. Oh, how still we see thee lie. It's, it's amazing, but the second, when his second coming, when he comes the second time, the first time he came as the Lamb of God in a quiet, lowly place, born among the lambs. The second time he comes, he'll come to the Mount of Olives and he'll come with power and great glory, and it won't be quietly. Every eye shall see him, and 
They'll know him whom they have pierced. And so we see this wonderful truth, this, and it came to pass, a prepared period of time. He came to the city of Bethlehem, a prepared place. He has a prepared place that he spoke about. I've stood there on that Mount of Olives, and one day that Mount of Olives is going to split in half from north to the south, or east or west, rather. And God's going to come back. And I'm, I'm planning on being with him, by the way. But we read verse number five as we continue on to the story. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling. I always like that word. Don't you like that word, swaddling? Swaddling clothes. I'm the only, anybody know that song? I'm the only one. That, that was like one of my all-time favorite songs as a kid growing up here. Swaddling clothes. You see, you're looking at me weird like you. What are you talking about? Sonny's really giving me a weird look like just get off of it. <laughs> Swaddling. You see that word a second time in Scripture, verse number 12. And you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the only time we find that word in all the New Testament. And not only in the English version of it, of course, the English translation, but in the Greek translation. And it means strips of, look it up yourself, it means strips of dirty, cloth, dirty rags, grave clothes, rags, in other words. You find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, verse number 7, and, and laid him in a manger, because, and there's that famous phrase, because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to notice thirdly this morning that phrase, no room in the inn. Notice a prepared position. A pre- 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 prepared <laughs> position. The king of all creation wasn't born at the Marriott, but at the manger. Not at Beth Israel's Mount Sinai Hospital, but at Bethlehem's stable. Not in $200 linen, silk linen sheets, but in a cradle of hay. The highest of the high condescended to the lowest of the low. And he came to the lowest through via Joseph and Mary. And he came and he, he, he came from the portals of heaven to the lowliest parts of earth. By the way, Israel's one of the lowest, it has the moniker of having being the lowest nation in the face of the world, elevation-wise. Many, many of you know, of course, even the Dead Sea starts, the Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and you think you're looking at mountains. This is where Christ came. He came to the lowest of the low. He was baptized in the River Jordan, the lowest river, the dirtiest river, the, the crookedest river in the whole world. Everything he did, he came, he came unto his own, his own received him not. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, rather 8 says this, but though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. I want you to consider that phrase, there was no room in the inn. If he had money, there would have been room in the inn, I promise you. Or if, if Joseph and Mary would have had money, I should say. But he had a lowly birth to a lowly family, in a lowly position. Joseph was, after all, a carpenter. 30 years later, they would mock him and say, is this not the carpenter's son? Nathaniel would say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That dirty town, and it's a dirty town today, by the way, 
literally. It's, I won't name names of towns, in, but you think of a town that you probably wouldn't want to live in, in in Connecticut, one of the lower level towns, hard folks and so forth. This is a nasty town, this town of Nazareth. A very lowly birth, lowly lineage. Daddy was a carpenter. God oftentimes uses, finds hidden treasure, oftentimes spring forth from the most obscure places. The greatest of all treasures, Moses was from the bulrushes, went from the bulrushes in the River Nile to the palace. Gideon went from the threshing floor, hiding from the Midianites as a coward to the deliverer of Israel. David went from the shepherd's fields to the throne. Peter went from the gangly, gawky fisherman to the, to the mighty preacher at Pentecost. You see, little is much when God is in it. God is able to take from a lowly position. And most of us, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. He can find those that be wise. I find it interesting that God oftentimes, he, the Bible says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. A prepared position. There was no room. They weren't good enough to live or to, 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 uh, to buy the inn or rather to pay for the inn. They were born in a stable or he was born in a stable. There was no room for them. And there's no room for the many people in their hearts for things of God, for the Lord Jesus Christ, because they're above that. They're mightier than that. And they, they, in turn, they miss the Christ child. But to the shepherds or to the, and to the sheep and to the oxen and ass, he is born in the midst of feeble folks. So we see a prepared position. But then we read on in the story, verse number eight. There's no room for them in the inn. And there were, verse number eight, in the same country, shepherds. Shepherds abiding in the field. Consider for a few moments a prepared people. I don't know if, again, Karen and Bonnie, sorry for the three-way conversation for a second, but I don't know if you guys saw, but we saw outside of Bethlehem and our Arabic Christian tour guide told us it was a beautiful sight, the beautiful desert mountains of that region of the world, of course. And there were several hundred sheep coming down through the valleyway with a shepherd, with a guy with a staff. With a, he looked like he had a dress on to me. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. And he had a turban on or some type of hat and, and some type of keep him chilling from the, the, the harsh sun. Had a little, little boy with him. I would assume it was his son. Had a dog. They were shepherds. The first people that God chose, divinely chose, to come to. Astounding when you think of it. He could have presented himself to Herod, to Pontius Pilate, to Caesar, Augustus. Maybe to the Sanhedrin or to the Pharisees or to the Sadducees. Or to the sages, to the sovereigns, to the seers. But he went to the shepherds. And I don't mean to be derogatory at all, but I'm going to tell you, we went to some occupied towns of Israel. I'm going to just tell you, and I don't have a good sniffer, pardon me, I'm just being honest with you. But I'm telling you, we went to certain towns, and I'm not, I'm not I know it's not politically correct, there was a smell, a stink. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? 
I'm telling you that Jesus Christ, the God of all glory, decided to unveil his son to stinking shepherds. The people, the first people that he decided to, to, to go to. And they, he revealed himself to shepherds, by the way. The Bible says they were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They were doing the third shift. They were doing it in the cold. They were doing what they did every day of their lives, seven days a week, 24-7. They were watching over their sheep. God often comes and meets with men when they're at their post. Those on the job keeping watch. Not, a, not once out of 100 times will a lazy man become a Christian, Dwight Talmadge, a famous preacher of 100 years ago, stated. God comes almost always to the busy man at their post, not to the sleeping man, the Bible says, wake thou the sleepest. The Bible says, Romans 13, uh, so wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Christians that are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ aren't, aren't sleeping at the switch. They're active. They're doing their job. May I just interject? It's one of, the, one of the profound truths I figured out many years ago. Now, 30 years ago, I got a book, in The Incomprehensible Christ, I believe is the title of it. I've had it on my office desk for the last few weeks preparing for these messages. And one chapter in that book is called The Work of Christ. And I find it astounding. You know, we don't put a premium on work in our country any longer like we used to. Work is a noble thing. The Lord Jesus Christ, we see him in the temple at 12. And the next time we see him at his baptism at 30, we call those 18 years the silent years. Where was he? Well, his bar mitzvah was no doubt as a good Jewish boy at age 12. And he was in his daddy's carpenter shop for 18 years. Led to be 33 years of age. Six-sevenths of the Lord's rest of their life was found in the carpenter shop, was working. Maybe a mason, maybe a carpenter of some sorts. I want you to know that God thinks highly of work. And God comes to working people, and he came to real people. He came to Pardon me, some putrefying, some smelling people, and I know that's not, you don't want to hear that, but I guarantee you they smelled. And that wasn't a, it wasn't a perfume, by the way, it was a different smell. And that's who God chose to reveal himself. That tells me something as I peruse. As I think of the shepherds abiding, I hope God, work for the night is coming when no man can work. I hope God, when, when Jesus comes to reward us, will he find us working? The, the shepherds abiding in the field. He came to a prepared people, not to a, a, a people of a, a, a plushness or a people of uh, popularity or a people of uh, self-praise and adulation. No, he came to these shepherds, these despised shepherds, much like you and I. But then we notice verse number nine as we continue on. And the angel, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. Oh, how many times we see that phrase, the Lord comforts his people by saying, fear not, for I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not, for behold, I uh, bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. 
And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. We get to verse number 13. Notice the first two words. And suddenly. I like that. And suddenly. Where did the suddenly happen? On earth? With the, the, the clientele or the people of Bethlehem? No, I don't think so. They were all asleep. Did the suddenly happen in Rome with Caesar Augustus? I don't think so. Did it happen in the halls of the Sanhedrin or with the Pharisees or Sadducees? No. It was revealed to the, to the shepherds, but the suddenly happened in, in, in heaven. The angels of heaven. Suddenly, the angelic host, a revelation took place. They'd been created, who knows, maybe millions of years earlier. That God had created them before, before the foundation of the world. This angelic host, they discovered something new. They didn't discover suddenly, they didn't discover, discover the power of God. They knew, they saw firsthand the omnipotence of God, the mighty hand of God. They lived in the beautiful portals of heaven. They didn't discover his power. They didn't discover his wisdom. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the thoughts of your heart before you even think them. They knew he's all wise. He's all powerful. They didn't discover his wisdom or his power. They didn't discover his love. They felt his love every day of their, every day of their eternity. But I think for the first time, this suddenly came because they, they understood the, that God sent forth his son. They understood the spirit of self, self-denial or the sacrifice of God in his son. You see, they saw him wrapped in swaddling clothes, grave clothes. Those same strips of dirty cloth that they would use to mummify or to wrap Lazarus' dead body in. Or they, 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 they used them for grave clothes. He was born to die. They realized that they're all sovereign, they're powerful one, they're all sovereign in wisdom and perfect in love. That he also was full of self-sacrifice and he came to die for men. And they all stood at attention. Heaven shouted for glory when they saw the sacrifice of the lamb. One day, the songwriter wrote, one day when heaven was filled with his glory. Heaven was filled with his glory. One day when sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt amongst men. My example is he. Miracle of all miracles, mystery of all mystery the miraculous, the Messiah, this prepared praise that broke forth. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We see this praise of heaven. I'm not trying to, I always have to interject here and just say, it never bothers me when people sleep on my preaching. I figure I'm at least half the problem. I figured out that many years ago. Uh, I'm not the most exciting guy in the world. I get it. I understand. No problem. I'm not offended at all. It's not, it's not, that's not me. But while we sleep in church, the angels of heaven are rejoicing. <laughs> they say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. One day, in fact... You turn there real quickly here. I want you to see it. Revelation chapter 5, before we go on to the next point of ponder. Revelation chapter 5, I want you to see the verses. I know we're Baptist, and I'm a Baptist, and so I don't amen and hallelujah, praise the Lord, as much as my Pentecostal brethren. Shame on us, Baptists. Shame on me. <laughs> but one day, 
I think it would remain being a Baptist in heaven, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm teasing. But I, if I'm a Baptist in heaven, I'll probably be a Pentecostal Baptist because <laughs> notice what it says in Revelation chapter 6. We'll join the angels. Revelation 5, excuse me, verse number 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the, and the number of them with 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and, and, and unto him, unto the Lamb forever and ever. Right now the millions curse his name, but one day every, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, power, glory of God the Father. And they'll give him blessing and honor and glory and power and they'll admit that he is. And later on in Revelation, though, there'll be many, millions will be cast into the lake of burning fire and brimstone forever and ever. But the angels, while, the, while Bethlehem slept, while the halls of Rome, the Roman palace the, the, and the... the Religious halls and the halls of academia, while they all slept, the angels shouted for joy. There's a prepared play, praise. One day there's going to be a future prepared praise. Remember, we're going to praise him, for we shall see him as he is. What a day that will be. But we get to verse number 14 now, back to Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Well, I like our King James Bible. Peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I don't want to get divisive or confusing to you, but I'm glad our Bible says what it says. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, I know this truth. No Jesus and oh, no peace. This world is crying for peace. Been crying for peace since Cain slew his brother Abel in the garden. Was crying for peace through Rome, the Roman chains. Rome measured their peace by the chains of their clanging prisoners. The more, more prisoners they had, the more peace they had. It was a false peace. It was the Pax Romana. This future peace, I want you to know, the Bible says, and on earth, peace. Goodwill to men, it's a prepared peace. A future peace to a warring world. I was down in New York City a couple of months back. I finally got to ground zero. We went right down, I think it's, it's at Roosevelt, JFK Avenue, or whatever. We went right by the United Nations building. They were in session. There's a, in the, on the wall, the United Nations building is a Bible verse, so you probably know it. The Bible says, or rather, the, the, the building says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and they're burning their, their, their weapons into, to, uh, I can't think, into, to, well, somebody help me out. I can't think what it says. But anyhow, they shall cry, peace, peace, and there is no peace, the Bible says. The world's looking for peace. It's a false peace. But Christ came from, Christ coming from heaven, he realized, the angels realized, uh, every one of them, a future peace for all eternity. But for the child of God, follow this now, there's a present peace, a peace that the world cannot have when you receive the Prince of Peace. There's the peace of God, the peace with God, the peace in God, the peace that passes understanding, 
Great peace, against such there is no law. There's peace in the midst of the storm, a present peace. Some people say that the kingdom of God is within us, and that's true. When we receive Jesus Christ, there's a kingdom of God that comes, and, and we, we, we're, we're to live in kingdom living. He's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's true. There's an eternal prince of peace. But I want you to know in the second coming, there's going to be an external Prince of Peace. He's coming literally, physically, bodily, with power and great glory. He's going to come up and set up a literal kingdom. He's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years in a new created earth. And, and he's going to, one day he's going to reign, right now he reigns internally in my heart, but one day he'll reign externally. Uh, glory to God in the highest peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. The prophecy is giving, given. But we go on, move on to verse number 15 now. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said one to another, let us... By the way, hold, 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 hold the screen. There, just keep it right there until I tell you, okay? Don't go any further. Okay. Not that it's that... I, I just don't want you to fill in the word without you finding it, or me telling you. There you go. Now let's go on to Bethlehem, verse 15. And see this thing which the Lord, which has come to pass, and it came to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And these shepherds, they made haste, they came with haste, they hurried, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now notice what it says in verse number 17. And when they had seen it, now these shepherds, they said one to another, by the way, when they said it, they seen it, Back in verse 15, they said one to another, let us go into Bethlehem and see this thing. You know what we're doing right now? What I'm doing right now, I'm saying one to another. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Uh, There's one sheep telling another sheep, one to another, to consider one another, to provoke one another, to love and to good works, Hebrews 10, 24. I'm provoking you to see the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual way, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, I'm provoking you to see the love of God that passes understanding. The shepherd said, this, said one to another, let's not forsake the assembling ourselves, the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. The shepherds, they went together, and they went to Bethlehem, hurried through the night. They were evidently very close. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And I want you to know there must first be, in order for you to, there's a prepared publicizing. Let me give you the verse. Go ahead and change the screen. Now hang with me. They first came, they, 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 they came first to see the Savior. Let me ask you this question this morning. I preached for 37 minutes now, I think it is. Have you seen the Savior? I mean, have you really seen him in your heart? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I'm convinced that there are many Christians, many a Baptists that sit in Baptist churches all their life. I hope I'm not speaking to any of these type. You hear with your ears about Jesus Christ, but you've never experienced him in your heart. There's no room in the inn no room in the heart. You've never called upon Christ to save you. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. 
with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the saviors, the shepherds rather, they saw the Savior first. Then, and only then, could they go and publicize, publish glad tidings to all around them. The Bible says, and they... And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Romans ten fourteen says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a proclaimer? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The last time Jesus is going to publicize Revelation chapter 14. Let me just paraphrase it. But the angel of God is going to come in a future event, and he's going to publish the everlasting gospel to the whole world. People say, I'll believe if an angel comes and tells me. In the tribulation period, an angel is going to come and tell the whole world. Give the everlasting gospel of peace. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 if you want it. What do we learn from these points of pondering here? Let me summarize and we're done. You see, he did not come to the highest, uh, the high or the high and mighty. He came to the meek and lowly. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He didn't come to the, the, the pompous, but to the prideless. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He didn't come to the sages or the sovereigns or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin. He came to the shepherds. He came to the lowly. He stated in 10 words in Luke chapter 19 to Zacchaeus, who was a dirty man in the world's eyes, even by the worldly people, that he, and he himself was one. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Sing it o'er and o'er again, the song says, Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. Christ receiveth sinful men. He came at a prepared period of time, and it came to pass. He came to a city called Bethlehem, a prepared place. He came to the inn, but there was no room for him. He came in a prepared position. He came to the lowly. He came to the shepherds abiding, a prepared people, and suddenly there was a prepared praise in heaven, not so much on earth. And he came to give peace toward all men, a prepared peace, internal peace for the child of God, an eternal peace forever and ever and ever when he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords in peace. And they made known abroad the saying, that's where our job is to work for the night is coming when no man can work, a prepared publicizing. How shall they hear without a proclaimer? How shall they hear without a preacher? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this wonderful Christmas story. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray, in the last moments together as we sing that wonderful song, How True It Is. Sinners, Jesus will receive soundless word of grace to all. Lord, I pray you bless in these moments of meditation we ask this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, let's take our hymn book and turn to 181 it is. We're going to sing the first verse.